0: This evening will be from Colossians 3, 1-5. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider members of your earthly body as dead, to immortality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You have your Bibles open to our text this evening found in Colossians chapter 3. That's where we will begin our study tonight. We're thankful for the presence of everyone that has come back to be with us this afternoon to study from the scriptures about a subject that I believe is very important to think about on occasion. And that is the subject of... Money and how we handle our money, and this is not going to be a Dave Ramsey course. I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not qualified to give you financial advice other than what might be found in the Scriptures. And so I want us to look at something that I believe is really important and is found in the Word of God, and that is dealing with the matter of covetousness and greed. And one of the ways that can be exploited and one of the ways that Satan does exploit that. And whenever we think about any Bible subject, any subject on morality, that we have to always begin with the foundation. And that is what is right? What is is it that God has approved? What is it that God has said we can and should or even must do? We also have to think about it from the negative standpoint. What does God prohibit us from doing as well? And in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And as he continues on throughout this text, as he talks about how we should grow together in our love for one another and showing compassion in our unity together as the Lord's body, he says in verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And everything that we do, it begins with the question of, does God approve of it? Does God authorize this? And he warns, as you can tell in verse 5, against falling into the trap in the snare of greed, of covetousness. And one of the things that I believe exploits that, especially that is so prevalent today, is the issue of gambling. And as we are going to be looking at some things, there are some extreme positions about this subject that I do not accept. I want to be Uh, frank with you. There are some extreme positions that I have seen people hold and take that I think they confuse a few things that we'll talk about as we study. But what I do believe is that we need to preach what the book says about it. Not just our opinion. So we must be careful. Nevertheless, we can't be afraid to consider this subject. We have to be willing to go in with open hearts and open minds and reflect on our own opinions, reflect on our own practices and things that we do, and ask whether or not what we are doing is indeed pleasing to God if we are doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do not have authority for something, if there is something that we do as a congregation of God's people that we don't have authority for, please point it out to me or the elders or someone and I am of the persuasion that if we are doing something that we don't have authority for, we need to stop at this very instance. And we need to repent of it. And if we are doing that privately and even in our own lives, if there is something that we are doing that we don't have authority to do that is not bringing glory to God the Father or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we need to stop it because it's sin. And the subject of gambling, it can be something that, as I've mentioned, there are some extreme positions out there. And even if you say, well, Sean, okay, look, I can tell that you have some conviction about this and that you're probably going to say this is sinful. Well, Sean, I'm not so convinced about that. Maybe it's just a matter of opinion. Maybe, maybe you're willing to, to say that. That we shouldn't put this in the matter of fellowship or doctrine. This just needs to kind of remain in one of those areas that it's judgment. It's just use good judgment. And we certainly don't need to be addicted to this, but we also need to not be so hard on it as well. well if that's your opinion, then I hope tonight that you will listen afresh tonight look at what the Scriptures with me tonight, and if you walk away with that opinion still, then we can talk about that more. But I have something that I think in the book of Romans, in the 14th chapter, just at the outset of our study, as we begin thinking about some of these principles, in Romans chapter 14, I hope what we can see is that As we look and as we evaluate some of the scriptural principles that we're going to be looking at tonight, that at least in if you have good conscience, that maybe there would be a seed of doubt about whether we should or should not participate in such things, and that's what Paul says in Romans chapter fourteen and in verse twenty-two. In this whole chapter that are dealing that where he's dealing with things that. We have different opinions about that we might arrive on different judgments about. And he uses the illustration of keeping of certain days or holidays or eating of meats or if you're going to be abstaining from those kinds of things. And he says, even if these are matters of indifference or opinion, he says in verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God, Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. I would hope that we can at least consider that as we think about this from the Scriptures and what the Bible teaches about the issue and the subject of gambling and whether it is something that we ought to participate in or not, and maybe there would be a seed of doubt that could be planted, even if you're not fully convicted tonight. Maybe it is that you would at least be able to recognize some of the problems that are involved with gambling. Gambling is a staggering thing because it is so popular. And it's probably one of those things that we don't talk about a lot, but yet many people do it. And I would assume that many of your friends, neighbors, and even family members participate in this hobby of sorts. And because 85% of Americans have gambled at least once, the statistics show. 60% have gambled in the last year. 46% admitted to some form of gambling even in the last month. In 2016, the average adult lost more than $400 to gambling. Gambling statistics show that 26% of the world's population has gambled. 30% of people polled said they believe gambling can be trusted and is fair. And the state of Nevada features over uh, 5,500 casino games, making it one of the major gambling markets in the United States. No surprise there. 60% of gamblers said the main factor for choosing a new operator is the best odds. Uh, Let's see. Let's just look at a couple of these things. Uh, One of the last ones here. According to problem gamblers statistics, 6% of U.S. college students are classified as problem gamblers. And 41% of people believe that setting stake limits on casino gambling machines is an essential policy issue. What I think this bears out is that there is a lot of foolishness that is involved in gambling, if nothing else. Even if we're not willing to admit that this is sinful, then there are a lot of problems from an economic standpoint and otherwise. The thing that seems to be so popular today, and I have known of Christians who have been on the radio or who have been on television, and they have said they have participated in sports gambling, and Americans have wagered over $127 billion since June of 2018. I can't even fathom that kind of money. But that's the kind of money that is being wagered in sports betting. The total sports betting handle in 2021 was over $57 billion. The number of people regularly betting on sports increased by 80% just last year. And legal sports betting is now available in 32 states. FanDuel uh, is an app and DraftKings is another app and website for online gambling for sports, and they make up over two-thirds of the market share for sports gambling. And this is another thing that I believe is important for us to recognize. People aged 44 or under bet more than their older peers. So this is a problem for someone that is in my age bracket, we would say. Probably more than other age brackets. And that's an age bracket that probably shouldn't be doing anything wasteful with their money at this point. Whether it's sin or not, it's something that should not be done. It's not being wise or a good steward with money. Surprisingly, maybe to some people, one in three women are betters. 83% of sports betters are white. 12% of Americans bet at least once a week. Sports betters are three times more likely to develop gambling addiction than any other gambler. Hockey fans are most interested in the sports betting, followed by the NCAA basketball fans, then NBA NFL fans are most disinterested in sports betting, so I guess if you want to say something good about the NFL, there you go. 71% of sports bettors wager to make money. 61% say it's for the thrill. 51% say it's for the challenge. 81% of bettors do research before betting, and 74% of bettors have multiple sportsbook accounts, but only 31% shop for the best odds. And this may not seem like something that is very prevalent here in our state, because it has not been launched yet, but it's coming. in Next year, they say it's going to be available. It was legalized just Uh, a few months ago uh, by a bill that our governor signed. And so they expect sports betting to be legalized and launched in the next uh, few months coming up. So gambling is nothing new. This is something that has been an ancient practice and hobby or sport even. But I believe much like pornography has been widely made available the problems of gambling have been exasperated due to the ease and the wide availability and access because of the internet because of phones and apps i'm sure many of you have something in your pocket or in your purse or something on you right now and it's easy as just going to a website or downloading an app and placing a bet especially for sports gambling And what I hope that this would bring attention to is that this is something that we need to at least raise an eyebrow about. That these are some staggering statistics that are worthy of consideration. But I believe any moral issue that we would talk about, whether it be pornography or whether it be uh, alcohol or whatever it might be, we always have to frame it upon the foundational question is, is this authorized? What is authorized? What are authorized ways of earning and making money? That may be a question that we don't even ask very often. But I believe the Bible is very clear on some approved and authorized ways in which we do earn and make money. The first one is by good, honest work. Receiving your wages. In the book of 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and beginning there in verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition When we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. There is a principle here that Paul is saying you need to follow my example that I'm setting for you. You need to be willing to go out and work hard. And when you work hard, you can expect to receive wages. And if you do not work, then neither should you eat. Paul makes it very clear that Earning wages is an authorized and approved way by which we should earn and receive money. Another way that we can receive money is through the giving of gifts. In the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4, I love this occasion here when we're introduced to Barnabas, the son of encouragement. In Acts chapter 4, at the end of that chapter, Barnabas, he is this man who apparently has some means about him. And he is aware of the needs of some of the brethren. And so what he does in Acts chapter 4, and verse 37, he, this Barnabas and he owned, who owned the tract of land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And he brought this as a gift to brethren who needed it. You'll remember the words of Jesus that it is better to give than to receive. That if there is a financial gift that I receive, I'm authorized to take that. That is an approved thing that God has shown and that Jesus has even commended to be done. I can also trade and act in business. Just in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, we're given sort of the opposite example of Barnabas. Barnabas here, who is a very gracious person who goes out and sells his land and brings the proceeds of that sale to the church as a gift. Here in Acts chapter 5, we're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira, and they do very much the same thing. They sell some land, you'll remember. They sell some land and they hold back some of the profit for themselves, and nothing was nothing in what I have just described was wrong, with the exception that they lied. They told Peter and the apostles that they brought all of the prophets to them. That they brought all of the prophets there as they like, if they wanted to look good, <laughs> they wanted to kind of compete with Barnabas. And Peter, he makes this statement in verse 4 that I think is so important. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. It wasn't in the trade or the business or the selling and making profit. That was not where the sin occurred. It was the fact that they lied about it. In James, the fourth chapter, you'll remember in James chapter 4, perhaps that as James was writing and as he was talking about how quickly life goes by and how we make plans, he says in James chapter 4 and verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit there is nothing wrong with making a profit there's nothing wrong with engaging in business or trade or anything of that nature to make money another thing that we see that's approved in scripture in Jesus's parable in Matthew chapter 25 on the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 what we see here is that You'll remember that one talent man that he went and he buried that one talent in the ground. And whenever the the day came for that to be accounted for in Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 27, the master of that man said, you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Making an investment in the bank is not sinful. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with making a wise investment. In fact, that's actually a good thing. You might think, well, this is a parable, Sean. That's not, you know, doctrinal kind of teaching, dogmatic sort of teaching. No, you're right. But the fact is, Jesus would not have approved of it if it were. Something that was wrong or immoral. And then a final way that we can receive money is through an inheritance. In Proverbs, the 13th chapter, in Proverbs, chapter 13, and in verse 22, Solomon says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Leaving an inheritance for someone, and whenever you receive that inheritance, it's not a sinful way of making money. It is an approved and an authorized way. Now beyond any of these things, these five ways, I am unaware of anything else that would be approved. I think anything else would probably fit in one of those kinds of categories. But there are certainly some unauthorized ways of making money and receiving money. And those ways would be through usury. That's something that we probably don't talk a whole lot about. But in the Old Testament, it's spoken about on several instances, such as Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 36 or Psalm 15 and verse 5, where we are to not loan out money and then charge a high interest rate just to get a little back for ourselves, And all of those laws, I believe, are still applicable to us today because that violates the overarching principle that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't share with others just to make something off of them. If you're going to share... Out of your gratitude and abundance you share. You give. Even if it means you don't receive anything in return. Usury is something that was not an approved way of making money. Bribery. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 17. In Proverbs, the 17th chapter. And in verse 23, notice what... Solomon says here a wicked man receives a bribe from the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. Bribery is something that is not approved. We should never try to use someone in that way. That is unjust and it's wicked, it's covetous, and it's sinful. Obviously theft is something that we should not engage in, in the Book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul makes this abundantly clear. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians the 4th chapter and in verse 28, Paul says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And so what I love about this verse is that it demonstrates what true repentance really is. That you're not just to to stop stealing, but you're supposed to go out and start working. And then after you start working, you're then supposed to start sharing with others. And so the person who took is now supposed to give. And I love that picture that Paul gives here for us. Theft is taking from someone what does not rightfully or legally belong to you, and we should therefore not participate in that. And I would believe that the subject of gambling would fall under this category because it is motivated by greed. You might think, well, Sean, I think that's reading a lot into the intent and the motives and the heart of someone who who might gamble. Maybe someone just made a few extra bucks that week and they wanted to go buy a lottery ticket. And, you know, I don't think you need to be so hard on that person. Because they're not greedy. I mean, they probably know they're not going to win, right? That's sometimes how the argument goes. (laughs) Well, try this next time. If you see someone at the gas station, the convenience store, and they're Buying a lottery ticket, why don't you make this suggestion? Hey, look, what how I don't even know how much a lottery ticket costs. Probably just five, ten bucks or something. Like, ask them to say, hey, look, what's whatever money you're about to spend on that ticket, just give me half of it. They probably look at you like you're crazy, wouldn't they? You'd be like, why do I want to give you half of it? Well, then you can show them and tell them that you're gonna come out better because you get to keep the other half. Instead of giving all of that $5, you get to keep half of it. I get some money. And you know what he's going to probably do? He's going to probably laugh at you and say, No, I'm buying a lottery ticket. Why? Because the ultimate motivator behind it is greed. Because they want more money. And what we have to recognize is that is the fundamental issue behind gambling and it is unauthorized because it is an immoral desire that amounts to idolatry I think it's helpful for us to also define what gambling is we might use that term a little bit loosely sometimes you know I might say well you want to bet or something like that to you Like, say, let's bet on it. And I don't mean that I'm going to actually put stakes up or anything like that. One dictionary says, to bet money on the outcome of a game or contest to play a game of chance for stakes. Webster says, to play a game for money or property to bet on the uncertain outcome. Another uh, definition from one of these big old books that we don't see around anymore. World Book Encyclopedia. Uh, Gambling is betting on the outcome of a future event. Gamblers usually bet money on something else of value as a stake on the outcome they predict. When the outcome is settled, the winner collects the loser's stakes. And uh, that's an important definition. And we'll... Uh, I just want you to remember that last sentence. When the outcome is settled, the winner collects the loser's stakes. And then Wikipedia. That wonderful thing called Wikipedia on the internet. At least as of last night, I did double check this to make sure it didn't get changed or something. But it still reads this way. Gambling is the wagering of something of value on an event with an uncertain outcome with the intent of winning something else of value. Those are the definitions of gambling and betting. And so there are three basic elements for something to be considered gambling. That is a consideration, the amount that is wagered or placed at stake. Then there is the risk. That's the chance that you're taking from an uncertain event that you're trying to predict. And then there is the prize. That's what we're all after whenever you gamble, is that you want the prize. You want that money or the property, irrespective of value in any of these things. And by default, when we're talking about gambling, we're talking about there is a winner and there is a loser. That was that definition from the encyclopedia. There is a winner and there is a loser. And that's an important point that we have to think about when we're talking about gambling. Because there are some things that are not gambling. And these are some things that maybe you've heard because these are some extreme positions that I believe people have taken. Maybe you've had someone in your life that said, no, you can't play cards. Playing cards is sinful. Playing cards is not sinful. Or a game of darts or playing bingo. That is not sinful in and of itself because what those people do, they confuse the game with the other elements of gambling. You can play a game of poker even with valued poker chips without actually gambling or betting any real money. It would be the equivalent of playing Monopoly. with Monopoly money. Other people have argued that investing in the stock market is sinful. That it's the same thing as gambling. And I would suggest to you that it is not because when someone buys stock, they are buying something of value. And it's a business transaction. And if the business thrives, then all the stockholders benefit. Not just you. And if the business does not do well, then all of them lose it's not that you have one winner and one loser now some people might sell before but that's the that's the nature of the stock market that's a business decision that is made in about the investment i've heard some people say that farming is a gamble and it's the same as gambling because there's a risk involved that you are putting stuff of value in there, in the ground, and it may not turn out so well. That crop may not do well. And if the farmer has a good year, I would suggest to you that all benefits. It's not gambling. Sure, there may be risk, that, but there are risks that all of us take from in some way all the time. Buying insurance. That's something else that I've heard people say is... Wrong, Or if you go to Target or Cabela's or the mall and register for a prize that is being advertised. Winning in a free drawing, that is not prize. There's no wager. The prize is a gift. But I think what some people do is, even with some of these scenarios where there is maybe a financial component and there's a risk component, they've said, well, aha, that's gambling right there because there's risk, there's a financial component, so that meets the definition. No, that's not what gambling is. For instance, if I were to get in my car and drive to work, that could be considered a risk. That getting behind the wheel is a risk that many of us take all the time without thinking about it. That's not gambling. Just because there's a risk involved doesn't mean that it is gambling because there's no wager on that outcome. You don't know how it's going to turn out. It's uncertain. Since there's no money involved, then there is no gamble. There's no bet. And assuming you make it to work safely, there is no winner, there's no loser. But if I were to go to my neighbor tomorrow and say, hey, look, neighbor, I am going to wager $10 or a tank of gas. That might be pretty valuable right now, actually. And I'm going to wager a tank of gas with, your na- with you. That if I drive to work without getting in a wreck, that would be gambling. Because someone wins money, someone loses money. There's a risk along with a wager based upon an uncertain outcome of the event. And another thing that I think we have to recognize is that the Bible does not just condemn the abuse or the addiction. Or the compulsive nature. Sometimes I hear people say, well, the only thing that would be condemned is compulsive gambling. That would be the only thing that would be wrong if you're addicted to it. Then it's a problem because then you're uh, messing with your livelihood and the health of the fam- and the family, of your family, financial security, and those kinds of things. Well, if that's the only thing that's condemned, then I want to ask, Can I participate in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5? Can I participate in a little sexual immorality? Or can I participate in a little bit of sexual impurity or passion? Or a little bit of evil desire and a little bit of greed? As long as I'm not addicted to those things, then I'm okay, right? No. It's not just the compulsive gambler that would be wrong. Gambling itself in principle violates several biblical teachings. And so there are some things that we have to recognize about gambling that would be uh, wrong. Many of the things I've talked about, sports gambling, DraftKings, duels, those kinds of things, even fantasy football. I like to participate in fantasy football, but I never put any money into it boxing, horse racing, baseball, any kind of sport, the lottery, blackjack, slots, roulette, poker, those kinds of things. We see that over and over again. And something that I think we need to... you hear come up in conversation. I remember when I was in college... I went down to Little Rock and someone came up to me. I was down in the River Market area. And they, there was a petition at that time to get the Arkansas lottery legalized. And so they wanted me to sign the petition. I said no. And they really gave me a fit about it. And I told them I didn't want to participate in that because it's just legalized theft. <laughs> and they looked at me and laughed at me. And I thought, to, for, in preparing for this lesson, I thought, you know, I'm going to look up something about gambling and look at some of the legal code here. And you may not be able to see this, but this is taken from the state of Kansas uh, legislature. And it is titled, Crimes Against the Public Morals. And it goes through all these definitions of gambling and it says that a gamble is uh, something is considered gambling or betting if it's a lottery. And that means it's an enterprise wherein, for a consideration, the participants are given an opportunity to win a prize, the award which is determined by chance. And then it says a lottery does. So a lottery is illegal. Just that's what it's saying. Except a lottery operated by the state pursuant to the Kansas Lottery Act. (laughs) You see what what they do there? A lottery is illegal unless the state operates it. That's what they're saying. That's what I find to be somewhat ironic and ill-fated about gambling. Is that it's just legalized theft. Whereas we would otherwise know that it is theft. When there is a winner and there is a loser and someone has lost money, even if it's legalized theft, you think about, well, we can't always legalize or control uh, what is moral. And There are all sorts of things that have been moral, immoral in this country that we have legalized. Just the nature of abortion, for instance. It has been legalized murder, but that doesn't mean it's okay or acceptable. Neither is participating in a lottery. Another thing that I considered was the idea of a raffle. This might be something that... I got this from the Kansas Department of Revenue and... This may be something that you think I'm going a little overboard on here and you can have that opinion and we can talk about it some more. But I want you to want you to think about it in respect to some of the definitions that we have provided about what gambling is. A raffle, a raffle means a game of chance in which each participant buys a ticket or tickets from a nonprofit organization with each ticket providing an equal chance to win a prize, and the winner being determined by a random drawing. So you have the risk, you have the consideration, the amount that's wagered or put up at stake, and you have a prize. All three elements of gambling seem to be present here. And maybe you're thinking, I think sometimes when it comes to Raffles, we think, well, it's for a good cause. It's for a nonprofit organization. It's for something that I want to help with and make a donation to, and that's really all that I'm doing. And if that's all that you're doing, then I will leave that between you and the Lord. But I want just to consider what the Wikipedia definition of gambling is the wagering of something of value on an event with an uncertain outcome with the intent of winning something else of value. And what we have seen in all the definitions of gambling is that gambling is not determined on where the money is going. That's nowhere in the definition. Nor is the amount wagered a part of it. Whether it's $5 or $50 or $500, gambling is... Not of degree, it is in kind that we participate in something that it is by definition. And perhaps you're thinking, well, you know, Sean, I I don't think raffles are really all that wrong or sinful. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But is it worth the risk? And just what my family does is that if there is an opportunity to participate in a raffle for a good cause or for a nonprofit organization that we believe in and we support their purposes, we just typically make a donation for the amount of the raffle ticket and we just don't participate in the raffle. You can consider that in light of some of the things that we've been looking at tonight. what I really want us to think about as we conclude our study is that as you turn over to the book of Galatians in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Some of the things that I believe that make gambling wrong is that gambling is addictive. Now, it's not the only thing that makes it wrong, but the fact that it can become addictive ought to give us pause and hesitancy before engaging in it. In Galatians chapter 5, and verse 23, Paul, as he's listening to the fruit of the Spirit, he says self-control is one of the things that we need to learn. That as a Christian, as a child of God, we need to learn self-control. And if something is going to bring us under its power and under its control, where we do not have control of our thoughts and our minds and our actions and our words, Or even our financial sensibilities. And we need to think about it and reconsider our activity in it. Gambling is covetousness. In verse 19, as he's talking about the works of the flesh, he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. The fact that we might be covetous or envy what others might have, that is a primary reason why people are driven to participate in gambling. Also, gambling violates the law of love and the golden rule. Insofar as you think about gambling as One of our definitions that we looked at earlier showed that in gambling there is a winner and there is a loser. Someone puts up stakes and wins it and takes the winnings and others that put up stakes, they lose that. And no one gambles because they want to lose That's not why people gamble. That's not why people go play the lottery. It's not because they want to lose. They play because they want to win. And if you want to win and you don't want to lose, then why would you want someone else to lose? That's the very principle that Jesus is trying to get us to understand in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 and what we call the golden rule. In everything, do you notice that? In everything. Therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. That the, the law of love, love your neighbor as yourself. I should never want any harm to happen to someone. I should never want them to lose out especially financially and put themselves in straits that they uh, should not that I wouldn't want to be in. Gambling violates that principle. And gambling violates the work ethic and other authorized means of making money, as we have already looked at tonight. And so, what I think we need to understand as we draw our lesson to a close is that there are three principles, and this is all the Dave Ramseying that you're going to get from me tonight. <laughs> is if you want to be a good steward with your money, it's going to not involve gambling. It's going to be one, work hard and earn your wages. Work. Work with your hands. Be willing to go and provide for your family and for your loved ones. That's a charge and a responsibility that we have been given. Work hard and earn your wages. A second principle is save your money. In Proverbs chapter 13 and in verse 11, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. There's nothing wrong with storing up and saving your money and gathering it up. You shouldn't do it to count it all up and just see how much you can amass and how wealthy you are in comparison to others. But you can save your money for your family's well-being. And then a third principle that is certainly a biblical principle it is something that Jesus taught and that Paul taught in Ephesians 4. Share with those who are in need. Give your money to others. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if you're willing to give or should I say lose your money away to someone else for sport or for fun just because you like the challenge or the thrill, then just give it to them. If you don't want to hang on to that five or ten bucks, just give it to them. Give it to someone who has a need. Share with others. That's what it is to be a good steward. While this is certainly a problem I believe that is growing in our country because of the ease and the wide availability of gambling, there is grace that can be found. There's forgiveness. And if you are thinking about taking this in a gambler's perspective, if you want a prize, Paul talks about a prize. In the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There has been sin in your life. If you've gambled, if you've participated in anything that might be immoral, Paul says, I forget those things that are behind. I repent, I reach forward to what is ahead looking for the heavenly prize of God. A prize that is far better in value than any earthly possession or material thing we could ever obtain on this earth. And if you're not a Christian, You're taking the biggest gamble you could ever make. Taking the biggest risk because we never know when our life might end. And if you're not in a right relationship with God, we want you to repent. We encourage you. And the Lord invites you to come back to Him. He is gracious. He's willing to forgive you of any sin that you have committed. And if you are a child of God who has been involved in some sin, come, come forward tonight. Confess that what you've done which is wrong. We're here to pray with you and encourage you and help you along life's way if we can help you in some way tonight, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?